Good morning. I um, spent part of the day yesterday watching some football and uh, watched uh, the Green Bay Packers go cheeseheads as they um, had an incredible game and, and won their game yesterday. But what happened in the, in the beginning of the game, there, uh, there was a, a running back, number 25, his name was Ryan Grant. Not to be confused with Brian Grant, although <laughs> Brian's quite a runner, that guy. Marathon guy. But uh, this running back, who is really a good running back, uh, first play of the game that he gets the ball, he fumbles the ball. Seattle gets it. Next uh, couple plays, they score. <clears throat> so right off the bat, Green Bay's behind. Next series, Ryan Grant gets the ball again. He fumbles the ball. Seattle gets it, they score again, all within the first few minutes of the game. And then the commentators uh, who play God <laughs> begin to comment on Ryan Grant's performance. Well, he's not holding the ball right, he's not holding it tight enough. He's running too straight up and down, he needs to get his shoulders down a little more. And he needs to, to run better that way, he needs to look who's coming to hit him. He shouldn't have gotten up on that last play. And then, and then they, you know, they always slow, slow, uh, um, slow mode, and then they reverse it, and they back it up. See, so look right here, and they take a real close look at everything that he has done wrong. And this is what it was interesting about as the game progressed, was they kept handing the ball off to Ryan Grant, and all of a sudden he was breaking through, and he was scoring touchdowns, and he was getting through, and he says, he's running with an aggression now. And then he got the first touchdown, and, and the commentator said, isn't it interesting, I wonder if he's trying to make up for the two that he gave away. And he got another touchdown, he made up, and then he got another big run, and everything became about how he was finally getting it right. And I thought as we studied in Romans 7 this morning, I thought, this is the law. The law is that we feel that as God is viewing us and as God has laid out his law, that it's going in slow motion and, and uh, continuing to look at each play, reminding us of the fumble, and that somehow we feel like we need to make it up. I need to now score a touchdown in order to make up for the fumble that I fumbled before. And as we look at Romans 7 this morning, what we're going to see is Paul is going to tell us that we have, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we have died to the law. And so for us as Christians, ones who long to follow Jesus, to really ask the Lord to minister to us, and how is it that we have died to the law? What does that look like in our lives? Or do we still somehow go back to the old life of living under it? Somehow we still need to feel like we need to score that touchdown in order to please God. Jackson took us last week in the end of Romans chapter 6, and he reminded us that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to the Lord, we're slaves to God. We don't like that term slavery very much, but... Think of it in the terms of we are bound to 
the one who gives us life and freedom now. Instead of the one that we were bound to that gave us nothing but death. And he reminded us that as we are now slaves to God, that we've been set free from sin. As we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And now we have relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. We're slaves to God. And the outcome of that is that we we reap holiness, character of God. We gain eternal life, the scriptures teach us. We have life full of who God is now. And then someday when he comes or we go to the Lord, we have eternal life with him. That's the outcome of being a slave to God, which is nothing but life. And what Paul, I think, is doing as he takes us into Romans 7, as he's, he's further illustrating this relationship with Christ. And don't forget that along the way, as, especially as we got into to chapter 6, really wanting us to understand who we are, each and every one of us, in Jesus Christ. What is our identity in Christ? That Ryan Grant, if he's a follower of Christ, no matter how many fumbles, God radically calls him his son, loves him. The fumbles are forgotten. He doesn't do the replay every time. That's our identity in Christ, children of God. Let's turn to Romans 7, seeing Paul's further illustrations of our slave, enslaved now to, to Christ and to the Lord. We are slaves of him, bound to him. He says, Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. And so then, if she marries another man, while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. And so, my brothers, you also... Don't miss this verse. So, my brothers, my sisters, those in Jesus Christ, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul is giving us an illustration of marriage and, and what it looks like to be freed from the law and how it is heavy on us, how it has been what we have really been married to before, the old marriage. And he's saying, listen, the law has power over you, has authority over you, only as long as it is alive in your life. And what happens is, is that 
the Lord is saying, and he taught us this in Romans 6, that we have died to sin, we've been placed into the life of Christ. And we have surely, Romans 6 reminds us, we've surely been, we've risen again with him in the body of Christ. And so we have life in him. There's a new marriage that's about to show up. The law has authority, lords it over, is the idea. As long as it is alive in our life, <clears throat> as long as we're looking to it to provide life for us. He says we were bound to that. It, it really had this control over us. Everything we did in our old nature was, in our old marriage, was to, to look to the law and say, how do I live life and, 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 and how do I play it out? And that by living in it, that somehow was supposed to, to give me fulfillment in life. He said you were bound to it. It controlled you. But he says now that you have died with Christ, you have been released from this old marriage, just like the illustration gives, that, that a wife who was married, when the husband died by the contract of marriage, she was now free to marry another and that's really what the illustration is getting at. That you have died, that that old marriage has died, and now you're free to join another. And that's who we get to become in Jesus Christ. We are now released from the law of marriage, and we're free to join another. It's the whole purpose of it. Well, as we think about it, what is the old marriage? What does that look like for us? What did that look like for us before we knew Christ? What does it look like for, for those who are trying to live under the law, live in the strength of their, of their own strength? seems to me that the old marriage is that if we don't follow the commands perfectly, then here comes guilt. Then comes the shame. The marriage that has condemnation with it. Punishment a sense of failure for us. The old marriage gives us an idea that we're unworthy. The idea that we must. We have to. It often feels as a burden to us. We can't do it. Keep trying. Follow the list of rules. Never knowing if I measure up. That, I think, is some of the words that describe the old marriage. You know, I was getting um, a haircut uh, last month, and, and uh, there's this, this beautiful gal who was uh, giving me my haircut, and um, we just got talking about life, and, and I'm all, well, tell me, tell me what you're all about. Tell me, are you, are you a woman of faith? And, and uh, she said, yes, I am. I'm a, actually, I'm a Jehovah Witness. And I said, oh, wonderful, tell me, tell me about that. What is that all about? And then she kind of she apologized. She said, well, I'm not, I'm not really the best example of a Jehovah Witness. And I go, why is that? And she goes, well, because I'm living with my boyfriend, and so I'm living in sin. And um, so, you know, I'm not quite living out what, what they you know, have for us. And I go, well, tell me, tell me about your faith, just what you believe. And from her understanding of her faith, it basically came to, 
she said, um, so, well, Rod, you know, we, um, we, uh, we go to, to the service and we, we learn about uh, the Lord. And um, she said, you know, Jesus is, is my Savior. And I asked her to define that. And it was really kind of a sense of, of he's given us uh, ways to salvation and shown us truth. And, uh, and I go, but, but how are you saved? Is it Jesus that saves you? And again, her understanding of her faith was, well, you know, we, we try to do good. We try to do good so that we'll enter into the kingdom uh, with the Father. And again, I asked her, well, how do you know? How do you know if you've done good enough? And she goes, well, I guess we just hope we have. That was her understanding of her faith in Jehovah Witness. And they may believe different things. But that's where she was at spiritually. The law that says you've got to measure up. The law that says somehow when you've messed up, that we've got to, to balance it out with enough touchdowns to make up for the fumbles, then we have right relationship with Christ. A lot of us live that way. Even as we're trying to walk in Christ the Lord, we, when we sin, we somehow feel as though I've got to make it up to God. When he said, I've washed you from that, actually, what are you trying to make up? Because I've forgotten it. Because you came and said, Lord, forgive me. I really messed up. I want to please you. I fell short. Forgive me. And he says, I have. I took care of that a long time ago on the cross but I have asked you to come to me. And yet we keep trying to make it up to God, and he's going, what what exactly are you doing? What do we do in our spiritual lives that we keep trying to get there? And trust me, it's not this theology that's this old theology of trying to live under the law. It, It permeates culture. And pretty much, again, every other religion lives under this concept. Somehow I've got to do enough. Somehow my salvation is dependent on me. They say, that's the old law, that's the old marriage, and you have died to that. There's pride that comes in the old marriage. Pride in keeping the rules, self-righteousness we call it. Again, I earn my salvation. Legalism that points fingers at others, and especially points fingers, we have that remote control with the TiVo, and we do playback, and we point fingers at one another. That's the old marriage. John Ortberg, a pastor at Menlo Press in California, he writes a lot of wonderful books. Maybe you've read some of them. But here's some comments he made in a leadership journal. He said, conforming to boundary markers too often substitutes for authentic transformation. The church, he says, I grew up in had boundary markers. A prideful or resentful pastor could have kept his job, but if the pastor was ever caught smoking a cigarette, he would have been fired. Not because anyone in the church actually thought smoking was a worse sin than pride or resentment, but because smoking defined who was in our subculture and who wasn't. It was a boundary marker. 
And as I was growing up, having a quiet time became a boundary marker, a measure of spiritual growth. If someone asked me about my spiritual life, I would immediately think, have I been having a regular or lengthy quiet time? My initial thought was not, am I growing more? Am I growing more loving towards the Lord and towards people? He says boundary markers change from culture to culture, but the dynamic remains the same. If people do not experience authentic transformation, then their faith will deteriorate into a search for boundary markers that masquerade as evidence of a changed life. The law. Look at all the steps that I took. Look at all the good things that I've done. I have my quiet time five days this week. Are your hearts changing because of the life of Christ? He's saying we've died to the law, that old marriage. Why? So that we can be free to join another. That we can have life in the Lord. And that's the key verse, I think, as he's giving us this illustration. He's saying, so then, my brothers, in verse 4, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that we might be joined to another. The thing that you struggle with when you read Paul's argument is he says, let me give you an illustration of marriage that, you know, if the husband dies, if the husband dies, then, you know, then we're free to marry another. And then he goes into verse 4 and he says, he says, you have died. If you follow his illustration, it would seem that, that the law, the old husband, is the one that has died, if you kind of follow that. And it doesn't quite flow, you know, if you follow the logic of his illustration. And I think what he's getting at is, the truth is, is that we have died. The wife, the wife has actually died to the, to the old husband. But what happens in that is that the law has, in sense, died and that it doesn't have authority over us anymore. It doesn't bound us anymore. But it is not the law that is dead or does not exist anymore, because the law does exist. God's commands. And I think what he's trying to point us to is that we're the ones who have died, not the law. The law is still there. And so that we live now because we are placed into another And if you remember, you know, Romans 6, and this is, again, a difficult theology that I pray that the Spirit ministers to us in, which is, according to God, what he sees of us. Remember, we talked about the line, and we have the eternal and the temporal. Christ sees only this, that we have been placed into his son, Jesus, that we have risen again with him, spiritually, our spirit, who we really are, has been placed in Christ. So all that God sees is our spirit above in the eternal. And what that is, is a beautiful child of God who has died and risen again with Christ, and now we have life in him. That's who God sees in us, our spirit. And so he says, you have been freed to join another. You have brought, been brought near to him. And he says that the law has no longer has authority over you. It has died. You have died to it. And I want you to understand something. Paul isn't saying all of a sudden like, hey, listen, the law has no place in your life. 
Sometimes when you read this passage, you go, woohoo, freedom. No more rules. How cool is this? And he's not getting at that at all. He's trying to point us to a new relationship in Jesus Christ, a new marriage that is joined to the Lord. What he's getting at is we've died to the law, we've been placed in Christ, and as we put our faith in us, he's redeemed us, he's bought us with a price, we are immersed into his life, that's the language of Romans 6, you've been placed into, immersed into the life of Christ. And he has redeemed us from the law. Here's what Ephesians 2 has to say about it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations. And you're speaking of a situation with the Jews and Gentiles being separated out in the way that they would go and worship. They say, not all the rules that were placed were to become one man in Christ Jesus. You have been brought near because of his blood that he's died for you. His sufferings have satisfied justice. His death has made us acceptable to God and it delivers us from the penalty of the law. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. And we have died to the law so that we might be joined to Jesus. It's time to have that new ceremony, that new wedding. We are now ones who are joined to our Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea is a marriage covenant. He always calls us his bride, doesn't he? Sometimes it's hard for us, I think, to grasp that. That beautiful, intimate relationship. We are now joined to Jesus in marriage. In that covenant where he is the perfect husband. Not the abusive one. The perfect one who will not sin against us. Not oppress us. But gives us life. And he says that we have died so that we might be joined with him, the one who was raised from the dead. And I think, again, he's giving us that idea that he is the resurrection. He's the only power that can give us life. And so when we are joined in, like John 15 says, that, that we are joined into that vine and that nothing happens apart from the vine, that the, the life of Christ through the vine that pours into us as a branch. We are now joined to him in that. So how do we live in this new marriage? What does it look like for us as we are joined to Jesus? Does it mean that Christians don't have to keep a moral code? Do we, do we throw out the law? Again, we've died so that we can be united to Christ. We no longer live with the authority of the law over us. But as you remember in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, the scriptures remind us that Christ did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. He didn't come to get rid of it. He came to make it complete. And so we live with him and his life that comes to complete it, and he fulfilled it with love. He fulfilled it with a new relationship with you and I. And therefore, he and his commandments... 
They include the law, and they include his perfect life and his leading. And so as we live in this new marriage, we don't get rid of the law. It's included in Christ and what he has for us, his life that he has for us. But even more than that is is all of his teachings that he has for us, the word of God that he gives us. And what has changed is the way that we serve. What has changed is that we don't serve in the I have to, I must, but we serve in the way that a beautiful marriage is. Serve one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember, marriage oftentimes we think is is a 50-50 deal, but it's not at all. It's I serve my, my wife because it's a joy for me, because she's my oneness. And if you think about it, we are placed in Christ, Christ in us. We're joined together. The serving isn't an obligation, or if I don't do it, then, then I get in trouble. I serve out of love. I serve out of gratitude for the gift of grace that was poured on me. That's what changes. And so we serve our Lord and we live in a life that is full of the joy of Him. The difference comes from new relationship. And we live in this new marriage, the Scripture says, bearing fruit to God. See, the sinful nature bore fruit to death. The old marriage brought death. But now, the Scripture reminds us, we bear fruit to God. We bear fruit in righteousness and right living. Living that is now from the Lord, that the Lord ministers to us. That which was intended to be. Listen to Philippians 1. Paul, who is imprisoned, is praying for his saints in Philippi. This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. I pray that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now in this new marriage, we bear fruit. We have life in him, this fruit of righteousness. I think we bear the fruit of Christian character, of being in the character of God, of our Lord Jesus. Like Galatians reminds us, and the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. It is kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then he says this, He says, in this new marriage, you have been joined to the body of Christ who was raised from the dead in order that you might bear fruit. Again, the life of Christ pouring out of you. In order that you might again bear fruit, you were were controlled by that old nature, but now you've been released. Again, this idea of freedom in Christ. We sung about this this morning. I am free. I'm free to run. And look at this. This is this wonderful verse that that I really want you to to ask the Lord to minister to you this week. 
But now by dying dying once one bound us, we've been released by the law from the law so that we may serve in a new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. We live in a new way of the spirit. And I think what Paul is pointing us to is that we now have been placed in Christ and Christ in us. And one of the gifts that we get in this wonderful relationship is Jesus says, I need to go now in the Gospel of John so that the Holy Spirit might come and minister to you. We now live with the Holy Spirit leading our lives. We now live with the Holy Spirit who is one that is moving us to Jesus Christ, who is sanctifying us, making us more and more like Him. We now live in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of times we go, yeah, I understand the Father, I understand the Son, but the Holy Spirit is empowering us, ministering to us, that fruit from the, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, now is, is in, in our union with Him, is pouring out through us. This new way of the Spirit. Not, I'm living because, again, these are the rules and I've got to check off my list and here I go. And hopefully I've done good enough, but living now in the life of Christ. Listening to the Spirit, focused upon God in our relationship with the Lord. Living now as a child of God, knowing that's who we are, our identity in Christ. That we have open access into His presence. Seeking to serve God, knowing that if we fail, and we will, that God forgives us. He picks us back up, allows us to continue on, washed pure in Him. Living in the new way of the Spirit means living in what's called the New Covenant. New Covenant is, as we're reminded in 2 Corinthians, that we are not competent in and of ourselves. We can't do it. You know what's really wonderful about living in this new way of the Spirit and in the new covenant? Is that as God is calling you in this love relationship to serve Him, and, and, and you go, well, wait a second, how can I do this ministry? How can I, how can I go out and, and feed the poor? I'm not real comfortable with that. I don't, I don't know how to do it. I'm kind of a little nervous. How do I spend time with, with little kids? I don't understand them. And, and he says, I know that. Stop trying to get it all together before you serve him. He's saying, we live in the new way of the Spirit, which is now we live with the competency of Christ who lives in us and lives through us, these broken vessels so that the all-surpassing glory of God might be shown through us. Right? That's who we are in Christ. Come on, your... Um, thanks. There's a little prayer it's uh, I guess it's on page be one two third page in your bulletin. I'm not going to read through the whole thing this John Stott, who's just a great theologian and if you ever if you're ever looking for good commentary on on scripture, John Stott's just one of those great saints that you go he just understands the word he's just a godly man. And so you can feel pretty confident that his insight into Scripture is, is good. But he's lived this wonderful life in Christ for so many years. He just recently wrote a book that, that kind of shares his 60-plus years in, in life in Christ and in ministry. Just, here's the things I've learned. 
But he, he wrote this prayer. My, my dad uses it in his uh, discipleship journal. But I thought, you know, I love this prayer because it's, what does it practically look like when we get up in the morning to go, Lord, I want to live in the new way of the Spirit. And so he has this prayer. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Skip down just a little bit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life, love and joy, peace and patience, all the fruit of the Spirit. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one, have mercy upon me. I pray these things. I want your Spirit to minister to me. I want to live this day in you. I want to have life in you. So Lord, lead me. Let's not wake up and say, this is my day and here's my plans. But Lord, what are your plans for me today? That God would minister to us. That we'd have life in the Spirit, in this new marriage. We have life in Him. Well, what happens is, as Paul goes on in this passage, he's saying, listen, there's, a, there's the old marriage, the law, that you have died to, so that you might be joined to another, which is Christ. And now, in your new life in Him, you can bear fruit, you can have real life, and you can be ministers of a new covenant. You can live in a new way of the Spirit, not under the thumb of the law. And then he, he has to develop this argument. He's talking a lot about the Spirit. And then in Romans 8, we're going to get into living life in the Spirit of Christ. But he sort of feels like he needs to defend where he's going because, you know, he anticipates some of the grumblings. If you go back to verse 5, he says, For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore the fruit of death. And then look at, go down to verse 7. What shall we say then, since it's arousing our sinful nature? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Against a real strong, no, by no means. Indeed, I would have known, not known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang into life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death in my life. And so what's happening is he's going, listen, the old nature, the sinful nature is actually aroused by the law that we're encouraged we are moved to sin. And so the argument then becomes, well, if it's stirring me up to, to sin as I, as I read the law, as I look at what God has, and now I'm going, wow, I want to do what I can't do, then the law must be evil, must be sin. It's leading me down this path. He says, absolutely not. 
Just like when he said, shall we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. It's not who we are in Christ Jesus. It's not why he gave us the law. And one of the things I want us to realize this morning as we, as we look at the commands of our life and what God gives us in his truth is that the law is given as revelation to really show us again who we are in Christ Jesus. It shows that we are sinners in need of a Savior. It's like you ever driven on a long dirt road in the country and then all of a sudden you come up under, finally you reach a lamppost and you look on your, your front windshield and it's just, it's covered with dirt and bugs. You had no idea they were there until you reach the lamppost. And then you drive off again and it's like that sort of disappears. It becomes clear again. He's saying, I need to come into your life and to give you the law so that you might realize, might see what's actually on your windshield. The law is about revelation, showing us that we are ones who need a Savior. And he says it would stir up in our old nature wanting to sin. There was this hotel in Galveston, Texas that was built over the Gulf of Mexico, and they actually built pylons out so that it would that it would hang over the edge. And it just had a beautiful view. And then one of the employees, one of the managers thought, you know what, people might actually want to fish off their balconies into the Gulf of Mexico because it's it's a good fishing spot right here. And so they put a sign in all the balcony windows, no fishing off the balconies. (laughs) Guess what happened? All of a sudden, there's all these lines and they're getting all tangled up. You would be sitting having a nice dinner with your wife looking over the Gulf of Mexico and this fish would come flap against the window. And so one of the head managers said, you know what, people do not come to a hotel to fish off their balconies. But when they saw that, it incited them, it enticed them to want to do what they couldn't do. That's our old sinful nature. And that's what he's saying. You know, the law used to do that with us. It starts to stir up. It starts to reveal it's not the law that's dead. It's, it's sin in our life that is killing us. It's sin in our life that is, that is putting us in the pit. And God wants you to see that. And, and Paul says, I wouldn't have even known what the law, what sin was if the law wasn't given to me. And he says, it deceived me. The scripture's gone. The law deceived me. It deceived me in thinking that, he talks about coveting. It deceived me in thinking that I could do enough. And if I could just check it off. And then I got to coveting. I'm like, oh, I just want, I started to covet all the more. I couldn't get a grasp on it. Like in the garden, it deceived Eve and Adam who was with her. When the Indianapolis went down in the war and, and all the soldiers were thrown into the See, there's a lot of sharks. Maybe you saw that in Shark Week, but all the shark attack that came on. Sharks got them. But the other thing that got them, was that there was only 300 some that survived out of the 1,500 or so that went in. And the doctor, who was one of the guys who survived, he said, one of the things that was so deceptive and why a lot of the young soldiers died is because they'd be out in the middle and here is this beautiful, crystal clear water and they're dying of thirst. And so they would go to drink the water. 
And he would actually literally hit them to, no, don't drink. And they would get in hallucinations and they'd fight them back and they would drink, drink, drink. And then within hours, they would die from dehydration. Oh, it looked like that water would satisfy my soul. The law, sometimes we think if we can just check it off, if we can just do it, that somehow that'll bring satisfaction, that somehow I am a right, good Christian, and we end up dying. It's the old marriage. You have died to sin so that you might be bound to another, which is Jesus Christ, who is our resurrection and our life, and that in him we are able to bear fruit unto God, we are able to serve with freedom and with love our new Savior, our Master, and joy because it gives us life. And that we wouldn't be tied to the old law. Remember the old marriage? This is what it did to us. It's our sin, but we need Christ. And when Christ enters in, he transforms everything so that we might have life in him. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen.